Welcome to Court of Opinion. I am Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stir. All right, week 11. We've got some likely candidates for some fresh teams. We've got an update on NBA title odds with some dark horse and underachieving contenders. We'll go to our favorite segment, What's the Verdict? But first, sir, we've had a slate of close games the last couple of days and want to talk about some games that were really decided in the final seconds of last night and the night before. Starting off with Sacramento versus Miami, return of Jimmy Butler. Heat beat the Kings 105-104. What do you think of the game? What do you think of the closing seconds of that game? Um, the game itself obviously is very close game, but the issue that I have with it, if I'm the Heat, is you're supposed to be getting a huge boost with getting Jimmy Butler back. You're playing a Sacramento Kings team that, although they are improved, they're not exactly great. And I don't think that the Sacramento Kings played a particularly great game overall either. It seems that a lot of the same problems that have been haunting the Heat the last couple of games were the reason this game was as close as it was. They had a lot of careless turnovers. They had seemingly a lack of aggression to attack the paint whenever Jimmy Butler wasn't in you'd see that the go-to play was the handoff to Kelly Olenek for three, which, I mean, that's that should not be one of your top plays. It just seems like the Heat right now are underachieving and they should have beaten this team by more. But the Heat were on a five-game losing streak and it must feel good when you've been playing the way that they have to get any sort of win. So maybe it's just incremental baby steps and they can build on this from here. I know that for them, getting Jimmy Butler back is a lot more than just what he himself contributes in the box score. We know that for the Heat, Jimmy Butler elevates everyone else's game around them. It's almost as if having him in the lineup makes everyone else more confident in their own abilities. So hopefully for the Heat, this is a sign of good things to come. Yeah, I found the same thing. I think they were being very sloppy with ball like they have been in most games I feel like every time I turn on a heat game they just say that they have 12 turnovers in the first quarter and it's always coming from really the younger guys uh, if you look at that game Bam and Tyler led the team in turnovers five and four respectively um, Duncan Robinson has been on a bit of a shooting slump he did all right that game shooting 50% from three but prior to those games I felt like he was the main reason why um, they, they weren't winning because he wasn't getting a shot off to the point where during one of the Brooklyn games, uh, they completely left him open. And the disrespect of that for somebody who's supposed to be one of the best shooters in the league was apparent. Um, but also you have guys like Gabe Vincent and Max Struess who have been serviceable, but not people you expect to be playing a combined 24, 30, 40 minutes a night. So it's still if you take away Jimmy Butler, like they have a very young team overall, I mean, you have KZ, Bam, Tyler Hero, and Duncan Robinson, all of which are under 23. Um, and then you have Precious Achua, Gabe Vincent, and Max Drews coming off the bench, who are also very young. And excuse me, uh, Duncan Robinson is older, but is just newer to the league. So overall, young team, but Jimmy comes back, puts up a pretty monster stat line, 30 points, eight assists, seven rebounds, and has a nice little uh, jab at the Kings when he's making his 10th free throw, screaming out 10 before he makes it. So 
you just need that confidence back. You need that locker room leader back. So hopefully better things are to come. And Tyler Hero is not sitting out due to his roommate's positive test of coronavirus. <laughs> his roommate, hopefully his roommate uh, isn't the Instagram model that we think it might be because if that's the case, that would be scandalous. <laughs> Moving on, Boston versus the Lakers, one of the highest rated games so far uh, of the year. Return of Anthony Davis, who ends up giving the ball up at the end of the game and Kemba misses the game winner, followed by Daniel Tice game winner in final seconds. Two shots at the basket, both don't go in for Boston. They lose 96 to 95 against the Lakers. What'd you think of that game? This game was actually a much higher quality game than the Heat's game in terms of the cleanness of the game and how it was played. This one actually had a little bit of a playoff feel to it. You could tell that both teams really wanted it bad. Um, and you can see that for the Celtics, whenever they play the Lakers, it's more than just, you know, it's a tradition, Lakers, Celtics, this is a storied um, rivalry. I think a lot of it is that the Celtics and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have two young stars that are coming up and are looking to assert their, their will on the league. And when you play a team like the Lakers, when you have the former championship winners, LeBron on it. It's a huge measuring stick game to basically let you know where you're at. And I think that for the most part, the Celtics probably outplayed the Lakers. It just so happens at the very end, um, the Lakers were able to execute better and hit more shots, but it was a close game throughout. I thought that Tatum and Brown both played great ball. You couldn't have really asked any more from them. They both had over 50% shooting, 28 for Jalen Brown, 30 for Jason Tatum. So both excellent games. As a duo, they actually outplayed the Lakers star duo of Anthony Davis and LeBron James. But as it turns out, Kemba Walker probably wasn't the best option for your game winner. I know he's been clutch before, but Tatum and Brown had been hot this game. You would have liked to see them force the ball into one of their hands for um, the game-winning attempt. But overall, a really good game and would be fun to watch this team duke it out in the playoffs at some point. It'd be really fun to see LeBron go head to head against the next wave of threes. Yeah, that would be uh, or that would mean that these two would make it to the finals. Uh, but it was an exciting game. Um, I think the biggest question mark for the Celtics was and has been all season. Who is going to be that lead point guard? Um, Marcus Smart is... I think improving his game day in and day out, but traditionally has not been thought of as a point guard and has shifted more into that role as he's opened up his playmaking ability as well as his three-making ability. Kemba Walker, like you said, has been electric in the past, but overall is having a down year, which you kind of expected. He's coming off an injury. He didn't play much uh, towards the end of the year last year and had some games that he missed during the playoffs as well. And then they signed Jeff Teague, who while Jeff Teague was great with those Atlanta Hawks and a little bit with the Timberwolves has been on a steady decline over the last several years. So all in all, they don't really have a good point guard identity. Similarly, I think they're pretty weak on the inside. Uh, Daniel Tice is not exactly the, the best or, or the most dominant center in the league. So Celtics are really relying on those two with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and their star power. Luckily, Jalen Brown 
is supplanting Jason Tatum, which he didn't really think was possible, um, and is becoming the star of that team. And you expect that Jason Tatum at some point is going to supplant Jalen Brown. So they're going to be duking it out for who's really king of that team. And I think they both motivate each other, but they, I think, are one of the teams that need to be buyers at the deadline and address some of their needs. Obviously, Danny Ainge is an excellent GM, so I don't anticipate that they'll have any issues there, but I think that they need to retool and add some pieces if they really hope to make a championship run. Yeah, speaking of which, um, speaking of their point guard issue, Marcus Smart actually did end up having to leave the game. Montrez Harrell landed on his foot on a rebound and Marcus Smart was unable to put pressure on the foot after the play. So he had to be escorted to the locker room and has an MRI pending now to see the severity of the injury. Hopefully it's nothing too crazy, but losing Marcus Smart would really deplete them and probably require a trade at the deadline if Marcus Smart is gonna miss extended time. Yeah, and I think I read it was just an apparent calf injury. So hopefully that really is just extreme calf and not an Achilles tear because that's the only other injury that really comes with a, a quote unquote calf injury. But we shall see. Moving on, Chicago versus Portland. This game, uh, Dame Lillard gets two threes in the final 8.9 seconds, reminiscent of some Reggie Miller or T-Mac magic. I um, think the play was uh, Dame made a three, and then Gary Trent Jr. tied up Zach Levine for a jump ball. Portland gets the ball, gets in Dame's hands, and he shoots another three and daggers the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, honestly, this game was just a vintage Damian Lillard performance. 44 points, nine assists, five rebounds, eight of 17 from three-point range, 15 of 26 overall. This was just vintage Lillard. Um, you can't say enough about what this guy does at the end of close games. He is supremely confident. He probably has to be in everybody's top two for a guy you'd want to take a shot to either tie or go ahead at the end of a game. He's done it time and time again, whether it's an easy shot, a tough shot, close, far, you name it, anywhere. He has the ability to hit that shot. He wants to take that shot. And for the Bulls, it's just another one of those games for Zach Levine, who had a great game in his own right. He had 26. He had six threes on eight attempts. He had nine of 12 from the field seven rebounds, four assists, but in classic Zach Levine fashion, he also did have six turnovers, more turnovers than assists. They waste a great game from Laurie Markkinen, who had 31. And it just seems like, unfortunately, Zach Levine, no matter what he does, cannot win. And it seems like Damian Lillard is just going to be the guy that always comes through in the end. So it just seems like a continuation of what always happens for these guys at the end of games. Yeah, I think for, uh, for Zach Levine, you hate to see it. Um, he's obviously playing lights out, out of his mind. And I think for, for the Chicago Bulls, they really need to decide now if they want to be a meddling team who is going to be in the hunt or if they're going to really go full rebuild and rely on having great draft picks and their scouting department with this influx of a new GM, new coach, and just new teammates. Because Laurie Marketing and them 
They weren't able to agree on a contract extension to begin the season. He scores 31 points, has probably the best game that he's had all season. Do they want to sell high on him right now, given that they didn't want to secure a long-term contract extension with him? Zach Levine similarly is having a breakout year, all-star season, has had rumors about him maybe going to a team like the Knicks or other teams around the league who are looking for offensive star power. Do they sell high on him and rely on getting some of that draft capital back so that they can truly tank and get some good draft picks in there? Um, Because obviously I think they have a young budding star and Patrick Williams, uh, Kobe White's also a young budding star as well. So if they rely on having those two guys and then filling out their roster with other serviceable talent for now, but then drafting for the future, I think they'd be in a better spot than keeping these guys that they clearly aren't committed to uh, only to see them lock in free agency for the Blazers, man, Dame Lillard, like I said, reminiscent of Reggie Miller and T-Mac scoring six points in the final nine seconds. Um, He's got to be one of the best ISO ball players that we've ever seen. Because both of those threes that he made, defender was on him, and he just cooks them, steps back, drains it. Doesn't matter where he shoots from. Uh, he, I think, as Paul George said, bad shot doesn't matter. Does doesn't matter. matter. It's, but that's the thing. It's like a, it might be a bad shot for most, but it's not a bad shot for those guys. Um, and I think the other key thing with the Blazers is last year they had a lot of question marks on defense. They went out, got Robert Covington. Went out, got Ennis Cantor again. While Ennis Cantor is not really known for his like defensive prowess, he is known for just being a rebounding machine. And so he has 11 rebounds on the game, plus minus is plus 17 for the game. Robert Covington always has been known for his defense is only nine points, but plus 19 on the plus minus for the game. So these guys are contributing to the team. Uh, they're just playing key roles for people like Damian Lillard to be able to be himself and to be the offensive scoring, uh, scoring machine, which he is scoring 44 that game. So I think the Blazers have a shot to, to make a, a good run into the playoffs, especially when they're playing like this with CJ McCollum out, Nurkic is out, Zach Collins has been out. So they have three other key players out uh, and they're still winning games and still in the playoff hunt. Yeah, I honestly think it's going to be the same thing that the Blazers have every year. The Blazers are a team that every year goes to the playoffs. They probably will make it out of the first round, then probably make some noise in the second round, but not have quite enough to take it to the Western Conference Finals. I think it's the same story every year with them because, unfortunately, their roster is kind of inflexible. They can't really improve or change their roster too much because of the contracts that are on it. And it's not exactly a free agent destination per se. And even if free agents wanted to go there, like I said, they're capped out. They wouldn't be able to sign an impactful player. Um, It's just, it's tough because it seems they always have enough to compete and make some noise in the playoffs, but never quite enough to be taken as serious contenders. So I hope that for Damian Lillard's sake, because he really is an, an incredible player. 
we might be talking about Damian Lillard as one of the best players in NBA history if he would have had a ring by now. But unfortunately, he's never been able to compete in an NBA Finals game. I think that for Damian Lillard's sake, the Blazers either need to shake it up and trade CJ McCollum for a different complimentary star that can raise the ceiling of this team. Because, I mean, we know what the Damian Lillard-CJ McCollum duo does. It is a nice combination. It's been a high-scoring backcourt. It's successful. It works. But it doesn't work well enough to win you a championship. So at this point, switch it up. See if you can trade CJ McCollum for a complimentary star that is of a forward position or a position with a little less overlap than Damian's to try to spread out your strengths and give you some more versatility in the playoffs. So I hope that they shake up the roster and give Damian Lillard a chance to do something like this in a game that truly matters, like an NBA Finals game or something like that, because I know he wants the moment for sure. Yeah, I, I thought that James Harden could have been traded here. Um, I think the other name that's obviously going to be thrown around until he finally is gone is Bradley Beal. So if they did a swap of CJ McCollum for Bradley Beal, while it is a bit of an overlap between their positions, sometimes you just need that new energy. And like, for example, Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan, they were a solid team. They went to the playoffs every single year. And every year is the same story. Got crushed by LeBron. They bring in Kawhi Leonard, while Kawhi versus DeMar is a much wider delta in terms of their play, playmaking ability and who they are as players than, say, CJ McCollum and Bradley Beal. Sometimes you just need that new, fresh teammate with a different perspective to come in and to drive the team forward in a way that hasn't been there for the last couple of years just because of complacency, familiarity, um, and, and that sort of thing. So... I agree with you. I'd love to see Dame in one of those uh, playoff situations having great success by draining two threes in the final nine seconds, but we'll see if it comes to fruition. Moving on, Brooklyn versus the Wizards, a game that probably everybody expected the Wizards to just get completely annihilated and blown out. Wizards end up coming out on top 149 to 146 because Russ cooked Kyrie in the final seconds and ended up with a crazy stat line. Um, I think he had 44 points and then double digits in either assists or rebounds for that game. What'd you think of the game? What'd you think of uh, Russ's performance? And yeah, what, what'd you think of Brooklyn collapsing? This game basically had the look of a traditional NBA all-star game like an exhibition and basically no one played any defense. No one cared about doing anything on the defensive side of the ball. The final score, 149 to 146, no overtime. That is in standard regulation. So basically everybody was hitting and no one was playing defense. Kevin Durant, monster game as always. No James Harden this time. Kyrie Irving, nice game, 26 points, eight assists. Overall, they got really nice offensive lift from their bench. They got 23 points from Jeff Green and 30 points by Joe Harris. Overall, I'm sure they thought they were going to walk away with this win. They really did outplay the Wizards for the majority of the game. But attention to detail at the very end, they thought the Wizards were just going to roll over and let them have this one. 
Bradley Beal had other thoughts. He pulls up on a quick inbound, pulls up with a defender in his face, splashes the three. And on the inbounds play, just a miscommunication, inbounds pass is stolen, gets passed to Westbrook, who takes a three-pointer and actually makes it and ends up taking the game from them. And you know that this felt great to Westbrook because anytime that Westbrook can take one from Durant or from another all-star point guard, you know that he is going to be a happy guy. Bradley Beal, another great game for him, 37 points, 13 of 23 from the field, except this time he actually won. It's got to feel really great for the Wizards to get this win against one of the best teams in the league. I don't think that the win really means all that much for the outlook on the season for the Wizards, given that they're probably still likely going to miss the playoffs no matter what. But it's got to feel nice to, to get one on a team like this. So good for the Wizards. I'm glad to see it for Westbrook and Beal. They deserve one. Yeah, it's definitely got to feel good, especially when you saw Bradley Beal just almost crying in his hands at the end of one of the most recent games. Because you look at Bradley Beal's stat line, he's doing everything in his power. And we've talked about it before, how much of a consummate professional he is. But doing everything in his power to win these games, and they just cannot get over the hump. So to see them beat the second seed currently in the East team that obviously has high expectations with Durant and Kyrie and James, um, I, it has to feel good for them. But also I agree with you, it was ridiculous, the lack of defense during this game. Um, like you kind of expect it from these teams, but we talked about this on the last podcast. The scoring average has gone up from 100 points per game to 111 points per game over the last 10 years. And to see it balloon to 146, 149, like there's going to have to be asterisks against people who win scoring titles with 35 points per game or people who have 40,000 points over the course of their career, which was unimaginable back in the Jordan, Kobe, Wilt, like any of their days, because teams aren't playing defense. Yeah, it's definitely the league is changing to a score first league. Defense wins championships isn't even a saying that is thrown around anymore. I don't even know if the new generation of TikTokers even know what that is. Defense wins championships. Do people still even say that? Knicks fans do, because the Knicks apparently are number one in defense, but. Uh, <laughs> All right, moving on. There are several players who are on teams who are underperforming or those players are underperforming on those teams. So I think it'd be fun to discuss where we think some of those players might go, what packages uh, we think teams would send out to secure them, or maybe they're buyout candidates and will end up going to the team of their choosing. Ready to go? Let's do it. All right, Lonzo Ball has been rumored to be Shopped around from the New Orleans Pelicans, where do you think he'll go or do you think he'll stay put? So this is probably not the more common opinion on this topic, but I personally don't think he's going anywhere. I don't know why everybody thinks that he's about to be traded anyway. He seemingly has a good chemistry with the other players on that team. He's a really young player. 
and they're a young team and they're trying to develop these guys together. They've got Brandon Ingram locked up for the long term. They've got Zion Williamson right now. They have Lonzo Ball. They also have Eric Bledsoe. I think Eric Bledsoe is the one who doesn't fit. I mean, Bledsoe's the guy who's over 30 years old and his prime clearly is, he's already passed it. He's the one that doesn't coincide with the development of this team. And if you think about it, their main playmaker is Lonzo, not Bledsoe. It's almost redundant to have Bledsoe. In reality, Bledsoe being on this team is not really because they want Bledsoe, but because that's what they got back for the picks that they wanted when they shipped away Drew Holiday. Because again, for the same reason, they realized Drew Holiday wasn't a guy that although he was great, his peak was not gonna coincide with the peaks of the young pillars that they're trying to bring up. So they cashed them out for assets. I think it would make more sense for them to get rid of Bledsoe. I don't know why Lonzo Ball is imminently about to be traded. Um, it doesn't really make any sense to me. He seems to have, I, I'm not even the biggest Lonzo Ball fan. I don't even think that the guy is like a future all-star or anything like that, but he seemingly has the right skill set for that team. He's a really good distributor, solid in transition, plays good defense for his position, great lob passer. Um, they already have a secondary ball handler in Brandon Ingram who loves to play with the ball in his hands. Zion Williamson likes to handle the ball a bit, and you expect him to take over a, a couple more of those ball handling duties as um, the season progresses and the seasons go on. So... I really do think that Lonzo Ball is a solid fit with them as a guy who's mainly a distributor. You don't expect him to take the majority of the scoring load because you know that that's going to be Zion and Ingram's uh, place to do, to take on the, the majority of the scoring. Lonzo's also shown steady improvement. He, his biggest question has always been, can he score? He hasn't really been able to knock down shots consistently to this point in his career until now. He's finally now, this season, starting to knock down some shots from range with at least the sort of regularity where you now have to go out there and guard him before they just, they leave him completely wide open. At least now, he's not an elite shooter from three, but at least you got to go out there. I mean, he's average. So if you're, if you're the Pelicans, he's only 23 years old. I don't know why you'd bail out on him right now. I'll tell you why it's money. Uh, I think that the Pelicans don't want to spend the money to keep Lonzo and he's in a contract year right now. They just doled out 150 plus to Brandon Ingram. And I don't think that they think Lonzo is the point guard of the future. So they're right now, second to worst, second to last, uh, in the West. And I don't foresee them jumping over any of the five teams ahead of them to get to the ninth seed, let alone getting in to the top eight seeds. So I think the Pelicans are destined for the lottery this year. I think that they have a lot of draft capital to move forward and they're going to look to the draft, which 2021 has a pretty stacked draft class to draft their point guard of the future. So I just don't think Lonzo fits in their long-term plans. Um, he's right now making $11 million. You have Brandon Ingram, like I said, who just secured a max contract extension. They have Steven Adams who's making $30 million this year. Zion is going to be making a ton of money uh, in the next like two or three years. So given all of those things, that's why I think that they would trade Lonzo. Here are the two teams that I think they'd trade him to. I think he'd go back to California one of two ways. 
Uh, I think that he goes to the Clippers, who would trade either Pat Beverly or Lou Will for Alonzo, because the Clippers don't really need a point guard who is making threes every night. They need somebody who's a distributor and plays good on defense, which Lonzo does both. It would put Lonzo back in his home where he obviously would love to be. Um, and I think he would get along well with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Other place I see him going, Golden State. I see them flipping Kelly Oubre for Lonzo. Golden State, when they have been successful over the past couple of years, has been in situations where they have good ball distribution overall for the team. Obviously, Lonzo adds that element. He plays defense, which I don't think Golden State is known for, but if they do want to make a playoff run and get higher than the eighth seed, which they're currently at, I think they would need somebody like Lonzo, and I think he'd slide into more of a shooting guard role, shooting guard role in Steve Kerr's positionless offense. Um, but they'd be able to get rid of Kelly Oubre, who has had an abysmal season shooting. Um, they would get, they would lower their overall tax uh, situation, which they're paying Kelly Oubre, I think, $17 million right now, and Lonzo would be $6 million cheaper. But from a tax perspective, it'd probably be about $20 million to $30 million cheaper to have Lonzo versus Kelly Oubre. So I think it makes sense for Golden State. And then New Orleans gets back another young player that they could potentially sign uh, next year, or at least they have an expiring contract. Um, they could probably get some draft capital from the Golden State Warriors. Here's my thing with Lonzo. I, I can see your point on um, why they wouldn't want to, you know, commit to him right now, long-term, and they might want to trade him because they feel like they may not be able to resign him if he gets a big offer. So I think that, yeah, they probably want to see what he's going to get offered and see what other teams think he's worth. I think they want to keep him, but only for the right price. I don't think that they want to pay him franchise point guard money, obviously. And I think that obviously Lonzo wants to get that. But my thing is, he is going to be a free agent at the end of the season, like you said. So I don't think that a team that wants Lonzo Ball long-term necessarily has to give up assets for him right now to get him when they could just wait till the end of the year and get him without giving up any assets. The only team that I could foresee doing that would be a team that is looking to contend right now, and they need him now because – they feel like he's going to raise their ceiling for their expectations of this season. But I don't think that playoff contenders are targeting Lonzo Ball. I think the only teams that would be targeting Lonzo Ball are teams that are trying to build for the future. There's other point guard commodities out there that are more proven and probably would cost you less that you could add if you were a playoff contender over Lonzo Ball. So I just don't see him getting traded I think that if he's going to leave, it'll be in free agency. Thing is, though, he's a restricted free agent. And while the Pelicans may not publicly say that they don't want him, at the end of the day, he is a restricted free agent. So if you're a team that's making a restricted free agent an offer, you're going to go higher than what you think his market value is because you want to secure him and take him away from that team. So if these teams have to just flip a second round pick plus one of their point guards or small forwards that they don't really pay regularly, um, they'll at least be able to have him under contract to have his bird rights and be able to pay him more of the market value rate than say Golden State or Los Angeles going out and actually paying Lonzo $25 million because they want to steal him from the Pelicans and they don't know whether the Pelicans really would keep him at 25 or $20 million. So that's one of the reasons why I think they would 
be a little more nuanced in that versus say Juanza was an unrestricted free agent. Um, it's just because I'm sure his agent is going to work to say, well, really to get Lonzo, you're going to have to go above what other teams are targeting to steal him from the Pelicans because the Pelicans have told us that they would keep him for 22 million or something to that effect. Yeah, I could see. I guess it's possible. We'll have to wait and see on this one. But um, speaking of point guards, we were discussing point guards at the trade deadline for teams looking to upgrade at that position. Another point guard in the NBA that we might be seeing getting moved is Derek Rose, who has had another solid season. It seems that after having tons of back-to-back injuries, he's seemingly healthy enough to contribute and make an impact. And one of the teams that you predicted that might want Lonzo, I think that they're actually the right fit for Derek Rose. I think the LA Clippers would be a really good fit for him. Patrick Beverly this year has seen a dip in his production. He's been hurt. They actually don't really have great, uh, great guard play outside of Lou Williams. And Lou Williams also has had kind of a down year by his standards, much older now. I think that the Clippers now that they're seeing what they have, number one record in the league, seeing what the Lakers have, they probably could use a little bit more depth to match up with them. And I think that a guy like Derrick Rose would be an ideal fit, especially in the playoffs for a team like the Clippers. Yeah, I agree with you on the Clippers. Um, I think that obviously Derrick Rose going there would help that team. Um, unfortunately, I could see another team like the Knicks trading for him because of his relationship with Tom Thibodeau, because of his relationship with Leon Rose. Um, I, I could see Derek going there. Um, I think outside of those teams, uh, another interesting name would possibly be uh, the Utah Jazz if they had him back up Mike Conley over there um, to give them just another weapon to go to uh, to see their, their playoff push. Um, but I think overall, the entire Pistons team needs to be shopped. I think Blake Griffin needs to be shopped. I don't know who would take him on. Uh, but Trade him for a bag of basketballs at this point, man. Blake Griffin can't do anything at this point. I, I don't know what he can contribute. Yeah, I, I don't either. But I could see possibly a, a Celtics team look to Blake Griffin to see if they can get something out of Blake. Um the interesting candidate I could see uh, for the Celtics is having uh, Jeremy Grant come in to that team. Also, I could see Jeremy Grant being a great, great addition to the Trailblazers who we were just talking about. Um, I, I think he is really common to his own this year. He went to the Pistons because he said he wanted to have an opportunity to play more. Obviously, he's gained the trust of that team with them losing Christian Wood. They needed somebody to step into that small forward, power forward spot. From an offensive standpoint, he's by and far and away leading the team in points per game with a little under 24. Um, but the next closest is Derrick Rose at about 14 points per game. So I would love to see Jeremy Grant on another team uh, at the trade deadline, whether it's Portland, Miami, Boston, uh, just one team that that's really going to allow him to show off his playmaking ability in primetime games and, and help lead a team to the playoffs. Yeah. I think Jeremy Grant actually would be a perfect fit for the Miami heat. The Miami heat clearly this season are really missing Jay Crowder. 
Um, I think that they probably underestimated what his departure was going to do to their rotations. He was a stabilizing force for them because he did so many different things. He was somebody that could defend on the perimeter. He could switch, go into the paint. He could knock down threes. He could make cuts, score inside. Strong, versatile. I think that Jeremy Grant is all of those things. And he would be able to slide into the Heat's lineup and stabilize that position in the front court next to Bam, which is, at this point, just been manned by Kelly Olenek and a revolving door of role players that, to this point, haven't really been able to stabilize the Heat's defense because, let's be real, Kelly Olenek is not and never has really been a good defender. And the other options at the position are a little too young to count on them to be in the right spots consistently. They also could use a player that could space the floor to open up the paint for Bam and Jimmy. Jeremy Grant this year has been a consistent shooter from range. And I know a lot of people that are Heat fans probably would prefer to see Bradley Beal. And I know that that's a name that, you know, everybody would love to see traded as well. But Bradley Beal is way more expensive of an option, would cost you a lot more if you're the Heat. You know that the asking price for him is going to be hard and esque It's going to be very high. A guy like Jeremy Grant, on the other hand, you might be able to acquire Jeremy Grant and not even have to give up any of your important pieces. If you're the Heat, you could probably look at the Pistons and tell them, hey, you made Jeremy Grant a three-year offer, but you guys clearly need to go into a rebuild. You guys aren't going to compete this year or for the foreseeable future. You have a very aging and old team. You have very few young pieces right now to work around. So let's just erase the Jeremy Grant deal. We'll give you a clean slate by trading you back the expiring contracts of Kelly Olenek and another expiring contract, maybe a veteran like Andre Gudala or Goran Dragic to make the salaries match. You throw in a young guard like Kendrick Nunn to give them a young piece and then maybe a pick or two to entice them with a clean slate that they can use in free agency and also some draft capital to start getting their rebuild underway. So I think that that would be a trade that would make sense for both of them. Yeah, in that scenario, I would see it being Kelly Rutlinick or Andre Iguodala plus a Mo Harkless or Avery Bradley plus uh, Kendrick Nunn. That would be the best thing for them because uh, it'd be, like you said, two expiring veteran deals plus the young Kendrick Nunn who has really shown out in the opportunities he's had this season um, and showed why he played a lot last year and also was second in uh, rookie of the year voting. Moving on, Andre Drummond and probably every Cavs big man has been talked about as potentially going to a new team or being a buyout candidate. Where do you see Drummond ending up? Andre Drummond, to me, I think is finally going to end up in the Boston Celtics, where many people have thought for many years that he might go. I think that he gives them everything that they're missing. The Celtics have plenty of scoring punch with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. They have Kemba Walker. I think that what they need is rebounding, defense, size in the paint, as we saw against the Lakers. So Andre Drummond is all of that. Defense, rebounding, paint presence. He gives them exactly what they need. He doesn't need to take a ton of shots every game. 
He's going to be a threat on lobs. He's going to be a threat on putbacks and catches in the paint and around the rim. Um, he's going to be able to get you second chance points and he's going to make sure that second chance points are eliminated for the other team. He will really do some scary things for the Celtics. The question is, if you're the Celtics, what do you have to give up to get him? Um, the Celtics probably don't have a ton of parts that would interest the Cleveland Cavaliers at this point, but who knows? They might be willing to part with some of those picks they have. Depending on the amount of picks they might be willing to give up, they might be able to secure them. Yeah, I I honestly see Andre Drummond being a buyout candidate. Um, I I just think that the Cavs, I, I never really understood why they traded for him in the first place, but I could see Andre Drummond being bought out and then eventually making his way uh, to one of two teams in, in the Northeast, either to where you're talking about the Boston Celtics. I Like you said, I think he fills a lot of the need for them. Uh, the other team that I see him going to is to the Brooklyn Nets. Um, I think Andre Drummond at this point really would love to go on a vet min to either one of those teams make the remaining 28 or $30 million that he has from the Cavs once they buy him out um, and then be able to hopefully have a, a title shot with one of those two teams. And then next year, probably sign for a one-year deal, mid-level exception, uh, like a show it deal. Hey, I still got it. And then go ahead and sign a, a fatter contract the following year. Yeah, I could see that too. All right. Lastly, we talked a little bit about Kelly Oubre, but aside from the flip for Lonzo Ball, do you see Kelly Oubre going anywhere else or is he stuck or rather are the Warriors stuck with Kelly Oubre? I think the Warriors might be stuck with Kelly Oubre for now. No contending team is going to trade for Kelly Oubre. I don't think that a contender would feel that the addition of Kelly Oubre would be a game changer. I think that the teams that would be interested in Kelly Oubre would be teams that are maybe still looking to develop him and believe that they could still get the max potential that he has out of him. But to this point in the season, he's been wildly inconsistent. He's shown a decline in his shooting ability. And even now, the Warriors are doing pretty well. They're, they're sitting in a position to make the playoffs, but that is despite Kelly Oubre, not because of Kelly Oubre. So if you're the Warriors, I think right now, you probably just have to stick with him. Yeah, I, unless he goes for Monzo, I see him staying there as well. Um, so we shall see if they do may end up making that trade or if Kelly Oubre hopefully gets his three-point percentage up, which he has over the last couple of games, but needs to continue to increase that in order to truly be considered a, a splash bro or at least like a, a droplet bro. <laughs> All right. Moving on from the players who would be traded or buyout candidates, we have some late breaking from Las Vegas that the top four title contenders are the battle for LA between Los Angeles Lakers and the Clippers, as well as Brooklyn versus Milwaukee for the Eastern Conference. Are these four teams appropriate or do you think that there should be other teams for the final four? I think that this time Vegas definitely has it right for the West Coast. You're looking at the records for the West Coast and the Lakers and Clippers are right there neck and neck with one another. And they seemingly have been the two most dominant teams in the league up to this point. 
behind the Jazz. And I feel like the Clippers with Paul George operating at ultimate efficiency, having the top three-point field goal percentage, top free throw percentage are appropriate. The Lakers, they won the championship last year, don't really seem to have much of a drop-off this year. They're appropriate. If you're looking at the East, the Brooklyn Nets probably have the most talent on paper of any team, no matter who you're looking at. And I think that regardless of where Brooklyn enters the playoff seedings, they're a threat to be a higher seeded team every time because of the three-headed monster they have to close them out of games. And then you have Milwaukee, the known commodity that has been to this point still performing at a solid level. They have the addition of Drew Holiday, which has elevated their game a little bit and they benefited from the continuity of their roster. Otherwise, um, Whereas a lot of teams in the East right now have had to deal with shuffling rosters, integrating new parts. Outside of Drew Holiday, the Milwaukee Bucks basically bring back the same roster from their first seeded season last year. So I think that um, these four teams are probably appropriate picks as favorites. Yeah, I, I agree that I think that they're the appropriate fits as favorites um, because I think that both the LA teams obviously have the experience for the Lakers. I have them going back to the finals for the Clippers. They make it to the Western Conference finals only if Paul George is Paul George, not playoff P. So if playoff P comes back and bricks everything again and doesn't come out with the same tenacity and firepower that he has to start off the season, then Clippers get blown out by Nuggets, Jazz, whoever is playing them, um, or at least that team makes a 3-1 comeback like the Nuggets did last year. So um, I, I think that the Clippers have all the right pieces. They have an amazing center rotation with Ibaka and Zubac. Uh, both of them are putting up just awesome player efficiency ratings um, for the team. Ibaka, like you and I both talked about in one of the earlier episodes uh, before the season started, we thought that that was one of the most impactful free agent signings. It has been. Zubac is playing great as a young center and still makes you scratch your head as to why the Lakers traded him to their cross-court rivals. Um, but I, I think that the Clippers are really a decent point guard away from really securing that one seed going into the playoffs. Uh, and, and being the odds-on title favorites going into next year. Um, on the east side, the Nets, I don't think that they make it past any team that plays half uh, of a good defense. So if that's the Bucs, if, that, if the Heat end up coming back and playing zone against them, I don't think that they make it past the Heat. Like, they need to play defense. And obviously, we talked about with D'Antoni, Nash, um, Amari Stoudemire and, and that whole Phoenix Suns crew, you expected them not to be playing defense. But one of the funny tweets that I saw yesterday was uh, this team has a seven stops or less in, in them for the entire game on defense. So <laughs> that's their defensive game plan. They need to update that and change that. They expect to go anywhere. Uh, and it's, it's crazy because Kevin Durant a couple seasons ago when he was with Golden State was – trying to say that he should be a defensive player of the year and he was making a good argument for it. So he needs to find some of that back if they anticipate or expect to go to the finals. Um, Milwaukee, 
I think Drew Holiday obviously has been an amazing addition. Uh, the thing that I thought was going to be a detractor for them was having Bogdan uh, or having that Bogdan trade go south. Um, and realistically, Bogdan hasn't been that impactful on the Hawks. He's been injured as well. So I think that was actually a blessing in disguise for them. That team has been clicking. Chris Middleton has been having an amazing season, as well as Drew Holiday's clearly added what they thought he would add. So the Bucks, I could see them going to the finals with that team um, now that they're a little more battle-tested in the playoffs. The Jazz, I think they've been talked about and obviously are hanging out there in, in the second seed. But to me, they're going to have an early exit similar to how Milwaukee did. Um, I, I just don't see the Jazz being a true threat because it's a bunch of young guys that I just – while Quinn Snyder's a great coach, I don't foresee them getting past any of the LA teams. The Jazz, honestly, are an interesting situation because the Jazz had actually won 11 games in a row before they finally lost to the Nuggets. Um, they looked really dominant. And people have to start putting Donovan Mitchell in that conversation for MVP candidate. We all know he's not going to win it, but you have to at least give him his credit in the conversation because he is putting his team in that stratosphere. But I think ultimately their roster just doesn't have the firepower that a lot of other rosters that are competing for a championship have. I think that they've benefited a lot from the continuity of having the same roster over and over again, season in and season out. They've basically had almost no injuries or players missing because of protocols to deal with. They've largely been whole this year. And I think that that's had a lot to do with why they've played as well as they have, not taking anything away from them. I think that they're still going to continue to do great. And I expect them to probably still finish with a top four seed. But again, in the playoffs, you then have a dynamic where, just like we saw last year, you're going to need Donovan Mitchell to score 40, 50 points every single game in order to win it because they don't really have anyone else in that team that is capable of being an offensive carrier for them. Mike Conley at this point is towards the end of his career, and although he is a still an impactful player and he helps their team a lot, Mike Conley is not typically a guy that you're going to count on to potentially go for 20 points a game and four straight games in a playoff series. Um, Rudy Gobert, although he does average statistically a decent number of points, the way he gets you points, as I've said before, is very limited. His offensive repertoire is easy to defend in the playoffs because it's predictable. You know what he's got. You know how to defend it. He essentially just takes advantage of his size and players being out of position most of the time. But it's not like he's going to assert his will and – go get you a bucket when you need it and the defense clamps down. So that all falls on Mitchell. And ultimately, I don't think that they have enough. And the same thing that I've always thought with the Jazz is what can they really do to get out of this zone, the same zone that the, that the Blazers are in, where you're competitive, you're good enough to, to advance past the first round, but you don't have enough firepower to really be a serious championship contender. How do they really fix that situation? Similar to the Blazers, they're capped out. I, again, as I've said before, I know that Rudy Gobert is a great player, but I didn't agree with giving him 200 mil. Um, that has really basically locked them in 
into the long-term outlook of what that team is going to be. I don't think other teams are going to be lining up to trade for Rudy Gobert's 200 mil contract. Uh, Mike Conley, big contract, not that productive given the size of the contract. Who else do you have that's a major producer on this team? I mean, unfortunately for Donovan Mitchell, this team is capped out with not very many ways to improve and not many assets to trade for impactful players. So I think that unless they really shake it up somehow, they're going to be destined to the same fate as the Blazers to basically be second round fodder. And this is probably Shaquille O'Neal's least favorite team with how much he's uh, roasted Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. But moving on from the Jazz, we've got some other contenders that have been underachieving this year. People expected them uh, to, to really show out and have great seasons. And for various reasons, they have not. Miami Heat sitting at 7-12 and 12, and the Dallas Mavericks sitting at 8-12 and 12 were expected to be strong playoff teams, but both remain outside the top eight. Why do you think that both of these teams have struggled? And do you think either or both will make it to the playoffs after recovering this season? Well, for the Miami Heat, it's, it's an easy thing to explain. Um, the Miami Heat have probably been the team that has been most severely affected by injury and COVID protocol of any team in the entire league. They lead the league in a number of different starting lineups. It seems every single game they have a different rotation of players available to them. They just had a ton of guys in and out. They had guys come in because of injuries, come out because of COVID. It's really hard to get a game plan together and build chemistry when you don't have a consistent rotation or a consistent lineup. Um, for the Miami Heat, there are some positives. They seemingly are being most affected by their turnovers. They're one of the teams with the highest amount of turnovers in the league. Usually turnovers are something that can be improved upon, especially for a team that last year in the playoffs did a, a decent job of holding on to it. I think that getting Jimmy Butler back is going to be huge for them. They've been missing their best player in the majority of their games. Jimmy Butler as a main handler for them and someone who in important clutch moments can handle the ball under pressure and not lose it and make the right decision is going to really help cut down on that number. And as we know, as you can cut down turnovers, you can usually win more games. They've also seen a lot of individual growth from some of their young players. It just so happens that it hasn't coincided with them all having these games together. For example, we've seen stretches where Tyler Hero having to be the lone offensive fulcrum because Bam and, and Jimmy were out. We saw him elevate his scoring to the point where he had, I think, 30 points um, in two of three games, and he was averaging over 20 points a game in his last five during that stretch. Then he had to leave. You had Bam come back in. You had him start showing his offensive repertoire, went for 41, career high. So you had him doing his thing, but he had no help either, so they lost those games. Uh, you have Jimmy come back, but then Dragic leaves. I think for them, what it comes down to is they just need to get some sort of consistency. They need to get all their guys back and healthy, and they need to find someone to start to stabilize that position next to Bam that's not Kelly Olynyk. Um, Kelly Olynyk is a guy who can give you some productive minutes off the bench, but Kelly Olynyk should not be playing 30 to 40 minutes a game if you're relying on him to give you starters minutes 
at starters level production consistently, you're going to be unhappy because he's not a consistent player. He is a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde player who shows up sometimes and not other times. That basically means you're a role player. So they need to find someone, as I alluded earlier, hopefully a Jeremy Grant or have someone step up, maybe a Casey Akpala, who they tried in the starting lineup a couple times to try to fill the void that Jake Crowder left. The issue is they're relying on a lot of young guys too to try to fill that void. And the young guys at this point in the season are still making a lot of mental mistakes. I think that this team is going to benefit a lot from having all their leaders back that are going to then elevate the play of the young guys by helping them be in their, in their spots. So when you have a team that's relying on young players to perform, getting guys like Jimmy Butler back in the lineup are invaluable. So I think that they'll eventually turn it around. Um, if you're looking at the Mavericks, the Mavericks are another team that's similar to the Heat. They had to deal with um, shorthandedness because of protocol as well and injury. Maybe not to the same degree, but they've had to deal with it. Kristaps um, Porzingis was hurt for them early in the year. So they were missing that. Luka Doncic, to me, I think that he came into the season out of shape at the start. Um, he's now rounding into form, but it seems that they're in a bit of a rut. And for them, it seems the largest aspect, as Lucas said after a post-game interview, is effort. Um, at this point, effort is haunting them. And the loss of Porzingis is, is gaping for this team. This team, basically outside of Doncic and Porzingis, really doesn't have all that much depth. They rely on Tim Hardaway Jr. right now to essentially be their main offensive secondary option behind Doncic. And although he's, he's admirable, Tim Hardaway Jr. is an inconsistent and streaky shooter and player overall. So if you're relying him to be your second offensive cog, you're going to have inconsistent results on a night-to-night basis. Josh Richardson, who we all thought would be a nice addition for them, has been a nice complimentary piece, but that is exactly what Josh Richardson is a complimentary piece. I think that right now their record is a reflection of the talent that they have on their roster at this current time. I think that when they get Porzingis back, we'll have to see how much he can elevate the play of their team. He obviously gives them a completely different look by giving Luka Doncic a very dangerous pick and roll partner who can stretch the floor, defend the paint, score inside, outside. He's an all-star level player. Anytime you can add an all-star level guy to your team, you're going to seriously improve your outlook. But um, it just depends on how long it's going to take him to return because at this point, the roster they have right now just doesn't have enough to compete on a nightly basis. So I think that the Heat probably have better odds of turning it around and making the playoffs, especially considering that the records in the West right now are more competitive and it would just be a bit of a longer climb for the Mavericks to catch. Yeah, I I think that both have been uh, decimated by injury and uh, overall rosters just not being able to play due to protocols. Uh, But I agree with you that the Miami Heat have been affected more so. They, for some games, had eight or nine of their players uh, total playing. Um, So those guys were gassed. So then when you go to other games where there's 10, 11, 12 players playing, those gas guys um, just aren't playing to the level that they probably normally play, given that they are so tired from those prior games. Obviously, every 
everybody is professionals, but at the end of the day, the Heat have been missing Jimmy Butler for, I think it was about 10 games. Goran Dragic has also been out for five or six games. Bam was out for a couple of games. You didn't have UD's presence on the sideline, although he doesn't play. He wasn't contributing from his uh, more of his like almost player coach perspective. So you have all these young guys playing with no real veteran leadership. Um, it's going to lead to more turnovers, more immature frustrations throughout the game. And while they could hold on to some games overall, they're probably going to lose the majority games, which is exactly what they did. Now you have Jimmy Butler coming back into the fold. Goran Dragic is expected to be back into the fold as well. They're going to have to have a couple of games where they're getting into the rhythm of, of things. While Jimmy Butler did have an amazing game against the Kings, he didn't look as great on defense. Um, so that's really one of his strong suits as well. Goran Dragic will probably look great as well, but you expect some just costly turnovers given that he hasn't played. So more of growing pains for them uh, through the season, but they really need to get it together in this abridged season because they only have about a third of the season left to make that playoff push and get into a nice seating so that they're not playing against the Bucks or the Nets to start off uh, the playoffs. Now, that's the other aspect about this too that um, people have, have to keep in mind. This season is a condensed season. Normally, starting out with a record like this, would not be as scary or as bad because there's so many games. There's 82. But in this season, having fewer games, it means there's a smaller margin for error for you to be able to come back from a, from a slow start. If you're the Heat, you have to be happy about the fact that you have seen growth from your young players. Bam Adebayo actually now can be counted on to consistently hit a mid-ranger. Tyler Hero has improved his inside scoring and playmaking. Um, I think that they bring back most of the pieces from their competitive playoff team last year who are improved. They theoretically should be a better team. The only real thing they're missing is Jay Crowder. So I think that if the Heat can find someone to stabilize the role that Jay Crowder played, I would expect them to make it back into, into the playoffs. Yeah. Well, on the Mavericks side, uh, Luca is having another great season. But like you said, I think to start off the season, he was a little lackadaisical. Obviously, with Porzingis out, that's their other key piece. The thing that I look to for the Mavericks is I feel Tim Hardaway Jr. and Josh Richardson are complementary enough that they fill out the starting four with Porzingis and Luka pretty well. I would look for more of a big man that's a stabilizing force. Right now, they have Willie Cauley-Stein and uh, Boban Marjanovic, who – both aren't really contributing from like a points perspective. Sure, they're doing okay defensively, but they're not even rebounding that well. So do you go after somebody like Kevin Love or Andre Drummond or Nikola Vucevic from the Magic so that you shore up that center spot and give them somewhat of an offensive threat, but also a rebounding machine that can help that team on the rebounding end, but also get their offensive numbers up. That's what I would think that the uh, Mavericks should look to do towards the deadline is really to get a veteran center who is going to start night in and night out. So you're not relying on a rotation of three role players to fill that void. Honestly, that's a, a great suggestion. If the Magic were to give up and just to, you know, basically accept the fact that they're probably not going to make the playoffs, I think Vucevic would be a really nice fit for them. 
Vucevic is a nice veteran presence who is pretty healthy. Porzingis, not so healthy. Porzingis, to be honest, you never know when he's going to miss time. He, t- he misses time a lot. And Vucevic brings a lot of the same things that Porzingis does. And I think it would be interesting to see a front court where Luka Doncic, with his distribution and pick and roll prowess, has two front court players that are both great screen setters, both great rim runners, can both shoot from range and spread the floor. It'd be pretty lethal to see Luka Doncic with that kind of floor spacing and that kind of offensive versatility. So it would be interesting to see. Yeah, and they'd have a nice Euro trio. It seems like the Mavericks are uh, becoming more and more like the San Antonio Spurs in terms of just getting all the European talent onto that team. What's the verdict? In this segment, you will ask me about some scenarios and ask me whether this person is guilty or innocent. Uh, I will explain why. I am ready to go. All right. So we have the Clippers-Warriors game. Rodney Magruder walks over to confront Juan Toscano-Anderson. I know you guys have never heard of him. I had never heard of him before this incident either. Um, But basically, I guess something happened during the game. Rodney Magruder felt the need to go over there and say something to him. Uh, Warriors bench obviously defends their guy. And as this is happening, Clay Thompson is on the live broadcast, seeing it go down and comments, Rodney Magruder's probably just mad because he's going to be out of the league soon. Is Clay Thompson guilty of taking it too far or was he right and just being a good teammate? What's the verdict? Uh, no, Clay, Clay is innocent. Um, I think he is right in this case and is being a good teammate. Also Clay on the microphone absolutely has a career in broadcasting following uh, his playing career. So it's good that he, uh, he already has that figured out, but I have no idea what that drama with Roddy Magruder was. It seemed like there was no point to it. And it seemed like he was just trying to um, start something that wasn't even really there, but Roddy Magruder on the season, 2.8 points, uh, almost a zero in every other category. So, I don't think Clay is off by saying Rodney Magruder is about to be out of the league soon. He is not contributing on a team that is bottom of the East currently. So if you can't contribute on the worst team in the league, you are probably not going to be playing for any team in the league soon. So Clay is definitely innocent on this. Yeah, I agree. Just because you say something that is mean but true doesn't necessarily mean you're guilty of anything. So. Moving on to the next one, the Rockets are now on a five-game winning streak, are in position to make the playoffs if the season were to end today, and have been rolling since the the Rockets have traded Harden, and now have a ton of draft capital in addition to show for it. Is this version of the Rockets somehow better without James Harden? What's the verdict? A thousand percent. Yeah, they're they're completely... I guess guilty of being better uh, without James Harden because it's such a detriment to the team to have somebody who's not there from a cultural standpoint when you're a new head coach, a new GM trying to establish an identity and your best star players being a complete prima donna and is making other players on the team hate being there 
I think that happens in basketball, football, or everyday life. If you're working on a team where somebody clearly doesn't want to be there, you're going to feel the effects of that. It's going to make you feel like you don't want to feel there. You don't want to be there, even though you do want to be there. Um, and it's just going to play into every aspect of the game. So now that they have James Harden out of that locker room, now that they have fresh guys who do want to be there, they still got Victor Oladipo in there, who maybe isn't obviously as good as James Harden, but still a great shooting guard in his own respect. So I think the Rockets are set up the same as the Thunder, actually, going into the next five to six years. Um, they're going to be able to flip Oladipo for another great draft pick if they want to at the trade deadline. If not, they can keep him and have a young guy who they can build around. John Wall seems like he's having a renaissance year. And if they decide to maybe next year, the year after, uh, when he's later in his contract and it's more of an expiring contract, they can probably flip him to a team that's looking to add that point guard uh, to really get them over the hump. They have Eric Gordon, who's still on like a long-term deal uh, that he recently just signed. He's seemingly playing well as well, so they can trade him for an asset. So they're in a very good spot to start flipping players for assets, start to open up some of their cap space, be able to take on expiring deals that teams don't want and have picks attached to that. Um, so given that the four first-rounders from Brooklyn, the swap rights that they have, uh, Houston's in a very good spot for the years to come and Rockets fans similar to Thunder fans should be excited about the prospects of the upcoming years. Yeah, definitely. The Rockets right now are definitely poor man's thunder in a sense. They, if they make the playoffs this year after trading James Harden and basically having everyone's expectation of being bottom feeders after that, that would be the most thunder thing ever. And you have to honestly give a lot of credit to, to Steven Silas, who as a young coach took a volatile situation with James Harden, basically completely disrespecting you and giving you no credit as a new coach in the league and still being able to have your team in a position with all this drama going on and all these new pieces coming in to still compete and make some noise. So I think that the future is really bright for the Rockets organization with the pieces they have in place. So moving on to the next one, Anthony Edwards, seemingly always on court of opinion for one thing or another, usually not for his performance on the games, but Anthony Edwards and Draymond Green got into some pretty loud audible trash talk during their game, loud enough that the broadcast was able to pick it up. Do you think that Anthony Edwards is too young to be talking trash as a rookie with how much he's shown to this point? Is he guilty of getting caught up and things that he shouldn't be getting caught up in right now? Or do you like to see the young guy stick up for himself? I think he's innocent. I, I like to see it. I think that uh, Draymond is one of the most notorious trash talkers in the league. Um, and Anthony is just trying to establish his place and his presence in the league as well. Obviously, it's a different place to be when you're the worst team in the West against one of the best teams or dynasties that has been around for the last 10 years. Um, so I think Anthony Edwards has every right to be trash talking, but he's just gonna have to deal with ramifications of that. Because when you have veteran guys like Draymond, or if you're playing against another team, let's say you're tra tra uh, trash talking Durant, um, you're going to have to see these guys then torch you 
either from their passing, from their defense, from their offense, and then at the end of the game, look up and go, scoreboard, young fella. Better luck next time. So I love the trash talk. I think that he needs to keep being him, uh, but you just, you're going to have to deal with the consequences. Yeah, I agree. I personally love the trash talk too. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Anthony Edwards, but I am a fan of competition. So if he's trash talking to Draymond Green, veteran guy with championship experience as a rookie, it does point to his competitive fire at the very least. So at least you know that he cares about the outcome of the game enough that he's going to talk trash and defend himself instead of just lying down and basically being a victim. So I agree. There's nothing wrong with some trash talk. Moving on to the next one, Jalen Brown this season has elevated his game and is actually now leading Jason Tatum in scoring, field goal percentage, and player efficiency rating. Has Jalen Brown become a better player than Jason Tatum this year? What's the verdict? He's guilty. He has become a better player. But you know what? Next week, we could say that Jalen Brown uh, has then taken a step back and Jason Tatum has become the best player. And then the following week, we can say that Jalen Brown then took over again that position. So the Celtics have a spoil of riches with these two. I think every week, each player can be guilty of becoming the best player. However, thus far into the season, Jalen Brown has stepped up, has become the best player on that team and is leading in all statistical categories. So I don't think they're going to care if any of those two are the quote unquote best player as long as they enjoy playing with one another and it is resulting in wins, then they're not going to have any issues with that. Yeah, I agree. I think that this season, Jalen Brown has at least caught up to Jason Tatum enough where it's indistinguishable which one is better. And I think that that is huge for the Celtics to have two guys like this. I see parallels of this team as a younger version of the Paul George and Kawhi Leonard pairing. Um, probably with a much higher ceiling, actually, just because these guys are so much younger and have been playing together um, since day one, as opposed to Kawhi and Paul George, who just met up in free agency later in their careers. So I think they've got a great problem right now. My question to you is, if you had to pick only one, which one would you rather have to build your team around? I think I would still pick Tatum, even though Jalen Brown has elevated his game this season just because when Jason Tatum has shined he has shined very brightly um, and I think he's done it more consistently over the years whereas Jalen Brown I feel has like really worked at this to get to where he is today so I think they both have the work ethic but just in this point in time I think it'd be Jason Tatum now if Jalen Brown continued this tear for the rest of the season um, and gets the all-star starting nod like people expect him to get, uh, makes an all-team NBA, possibly first team or even second team, and carries this team to the finals or at least the conference finals and is the go-to guy, then different conversation at the end of the season. But at this point in time, still Jason Tatum for me. Yeah, honestly, for me, it's, it's so hard. The way that I look at them, when I see Jason Tatum's game and I see the way he plays and approaches the game, I see a lot of parallels between him and his favorite player, Kobe Bryant. And when I look at Jalen Brown, I see a lot of parallels between his game and Kawhi Leonard. So 
I see Jason Tatum as a, as a guy who is probably the more gifted ball handler, um, probably the more creative, flashy looking offensive player, probably the more dynamic scorer overall, I guess you could say. But Jalen Brown has that more deliberate, powerful, get to my spots, take my efficient shots, knock them down, play elite defense that Kawhi Leonard has. Probably not as much flash as Tatum, but brings just as much substance and more defense at this point, at least. But if it was me, I guess I would probably take Jason Tatum just based on potential. He is the younger player. He has a longer wingspan. He is taller. He, at this point, is not as strong as Jalen Brown. And I think that that's why Jalen Brown might be a better defender because he has higher IQ on defense too. But I think that the IQ will come in time for Tatum. And he could still fill out, add on some more weight, and potentially gain the ability down the road to defend in the paint with his height and length. So, but if you're the Celtics, great problem to have because you don't have to pick. You have them both. So that has been this episode of Court of Opinion. We hope you enjoy it. Court is adjourned. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stir. Like us on your favorite podcast player. Follow us on Twitter. And you can even watch us on YouTube. Like he said, Court is adjourned.